2 Corinthians. And uh, I want to encourage you over the next several weeks uh, to make every effort you can to be here and be faithful. Uh, coming up in the, towards the end of March, uh, we're going to be having a family day here. And uh, you'll find that listed in your bulletins. Uh, I think it's on the 23rd, 24th of March. Somebody help me out there. 24th. Okay. And uh, I want to encourage you to do everything you can to have your family here that day. Uh, We're going to have a a church uh, meal downstairs. And I know some people say, well, we do that every, every Sunday. But we want it to be a meal meal for everybody, a sit-down meal, nice thing, uh, potluck meal, bring a hot dish and be a part of it. And then we'll have a special service at the 1 o'clock hour with some special music and a special service that day and focusing on the family and uh, just a, a day to kind of encourage some of your loved ones to come and join you that day. And uh, I'm, I'm working on and trying to work out to where we can have uh, a photographer here uh, after the morning service during the lunchtime. And if you'd like to get a family portrait done while you're here, uh, be able to do that. I know sometimes that's a hard thing to do, isn't it, to get everybody together for a portrait. So this might be a good time to do that if they all come to church and they're already dressed up nice anyway. So uh, we'll uh, try to have that available to you as well. So be thinking about that and go ahead and start inviting some of your family members and encourage them to come and be here that day. And um, go ahead and mark their calendars for that if you would. Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 11. I'm going to share some thoughts today and then try to teach you some things from God's Word. Uh, the more I've been studying about some, some issues, uh, I've come across some things that are very, very critical that we know from Scripture. Um, the Bible puts a very strong emphasis on sound doctrine. And uh, there is a group of folks that uh, are going around there, and I was talking with somebody about this the other day. When I study people like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses and people like that, I think in our minds we have said that well, we know that they're Mormon or we know that they're Jehovah Witness, and I would never get wrapped up in those beliefs because I don't believe that they are doctrinally sound. And uh, we know there's a danger there. We know there's something there that's contrary to Scripture. The danger that comes, and when the Bible talks about a wolf in sheep's clothing, uh, I think that that there's a big danger in what I have perceived is happening and studied about uh, in the last week or so here uh, that is going on in independent Baptist churches, fundamental Baptist churches. We're talking about churches that many of us would say, boy, that's that's the kind of church uh, that we ought to be, Uh, soul winning. Uh, King James Version uh, type of a Baptist church. And yet uh, there are some doctrines coming out of a small group of folks that is beginning to spread quickly that are not doctrines that the Scripture teaches. Very, very important that we understand this. And and I don't know that we should be shocked by this. I I know I was uh, a little bit set back when I began to see that even people that, that claim to be exactly what we are start teaching some things that are in error in Scripture. And then they still hold to the fact that they're one of us and or we're one of them and, and that sort of a thing. They, they claim that name. And, and the thing that concerns me is, and it probably shouldn't, shouldn't surprise us, is that the Bible speaks very clearly to the fact that there will come that day when there will be people that look like they're the right folks that are not. 
And uh, I want to take a few moments today to try to show from Scripture some things that uh, we can use to recognize these folks and then what should biblically our response be to that. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, get through uh, the verses today and try to be a help to folks. Let me just mention this by way of warning. Uh, be careful of what you're watching on the Internet and on television. Uh, my dad used to say years ago to me, uh, don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see. Uh, because people are deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so um, we're going to talk a little bit about this and how to tell when, uh, when it's right and when it's not from Scripture. And then, Lord willing, we're going to begin taking doctrines one at a time this year. And I'm going to do this on Sunday mornings. It may not be every Sunday morning, but as we get material together and are ready to give it out, uh, we're going to take doctrines, major doctrines that we hold to from Scripture, and we're going to go through them thoroughly from Scripture because our people, I believe, need to be well-grounded. I will say this. Doctrine is very exclusive. Uh, It divides. It does not unite. It, It causes there to be a line drawn in the sand. And either you're here or you're there. And we're going to look at that from Scripture today. It's amazing to me. I was talking to our folks that came out for soul winning yesterday that somehow we get in our minds that the majority of people we talk to ought to get saved the first time we talk to them about the gospel. But the Bible is very clear, and it says that wide is, broad is the gate, uh, and many there be that go to this thing of destruction, this destructive way. But it says narrow is the gate. And few there be that find it, that is the way that leads unto life. <clears throat> and so, uh, it ought not surprise us that there are many, and the Bible even says this, that will say, Lord, Lord. It doesn't say few, it says there's going to be many. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Uh, we've got to be careful uh, that we are following what the Bible teaches And we want to be very accurate in these things, as accurate as is possible for us to be. Look with me, if you will, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. And I'm going to read several verses of Scripture uh, for sake of time. I may not read all of the chapter in its entirety, uh, but I promise you this. I'm not pulling verses out of Scripture. You can go back this afternoon as we have more time, and you can read through uh, the verses in between. But uh, I want to read the, the areas that are most applicable to us this morning. Would to God, verse number 1, ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I, am a je- for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Well, what a phrase. The simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. Now he goes down to speak of his own uh, credentials and things, and then I want us to look again at verse number 12. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, 
that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false prophets, uh, I'm sorry, false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Very, very important here that we understand some things about uh, these, these false apostles and false teachers that the Bible is very clear about that will come in the last days. The Bible says that there will come a time when those will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They're going to find preachers that will tell them what they want to hear. So there's three things, three responses, I believe, that we as God's people find in Scripture that uh, there, there probably are many more than this, but I'm going to give you three today of how do we respond to this. When we find something that comes along that, boy, it just doesn't sound like what we've been taught from God's Word before, and it seems like it's some new thing, then we need to check it. And uh, let me just say this at the onset. Do not check it by what Brother Greg says. Because really what I say does not matter a hill of beans. But check it by what God's Word says. That is our authority. And when we measure the doctrine that someone is teaching to find out if it's good doctrine or poor doctrine, it's not because our pastor taught it. It's because God's Word said it. And so those are the things that we want to use as guidelines. Now, how do we respond to these things. I want you to hold your place here in 2 Corinthians because we're going to come back to these verses in just a moment. And turn with me, if you will, to the book of Titus. The book of Titus, chapter number 1. It's in your New Testament. If you're not familiar with it, First, uh, Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. So if you find uh, Hebrews, just back up a little bit. It's a rather large book there. Titus, chapter number 1. Paul is speaking here to a young man who... He is uh, charging for the ministry. Titus is uh, preaching and being a pastor and, and uh, doing some things in this aspect. And I want us to begin reading in verse number, um, let's start in verse number 9. It's the end of the qualifications for elders. In verse number 9, one of the last things that Paul tells him is, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Let me just stop and say this for a moment. Just because everybody in, the, in our group of people that we associate with teach something does not just in and of itself make it right. However, we should not change quickly things that have been taught for well over 2,000 years now. And we should not change something that has been taught that long uh, without good reason from Scripture. And what we're finding today is that there's a group of folks that are coming around and they're trying to say, hey, we have found something new to our belief system. There's something that all these years, these brilliant minds of men who have been filled with the Spirit of God, and I'll be real frank with you today, I believe there was a time before our, li our lifetime where there was more filling of the Spirit of God in people than there is today. 
not because of the Spirit's lack of willingness, but because of man's lack of willingness. And for men that were such renowned men in years past that have been filled with the Holy Spirit of God to hold to doctrines that nowadays we're trying to say in the day that we live, these are incorrect doctrines and we need to change them and we cannot find a good and legitimate reason in Scripture to do so, then folks, that is not a good thing. Paul told Titus here, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Two things he's going to do. He's going to exhort them, encourage them, motivate them, give them reason to believe, and it says to convince them. That means that they were of a contrary opinion. But by sound doctrine, they can see the light of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get to verse number 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. The first thing that we must do in response to people that are going to teach us or try to convince us of something contrary to the Word of God is we must learn to recognize them. We must learn to recognize them. Years ago when I was a young man at 14 years of age, uh, our church bought an old printing press. A man in our church knew how to run them, and we started a small printing ministry. Uh, About a year after we bought that and he had been printing for us, the man was called to pastor a church and was going to be leaving us. And we had nobody to run the press. Nobody knew how to run the press. And so at 14 years of age, my dad said, Greg, go in there and watch him for two weeks and learn how to run that press. And so I went in there, and that was the beginning of my printing career that lasted for 20-some years. And uh, began to, to study about printing and learning about that. A couple of years after I had been printing in the, uh, the print shop, uh, some unique things happened. One day I had a guy come in, and uh, he did not allude to what he was talking to, but he came up to me and he said, I have some ink that matches. And I'm a young man. I'm like, ink that matches? And I'm kind of him hauling around like, what are you talking about? And what he was talking about was match counterfeiting, I, that I could print bills if I wanted to because he had the ink to match. And, of course, we understood and knew that it's not just the ink. It's the paper, too, that creates authentic bills. And then within just a couple of weeks of that, I picked up the newspaper, and there was an article in there of a fellow that was well-known in our, in our city and was in charge of one of our local nursing funeral homes. And they had arrested him for counterfeiting. This was just a couple weeks after I had had this salesman come in and try to tell me he had ink that matched. And I thought, boy, how did this happen? And, and the way that he got caught was he had gone, and this was back when they were first coming out with the color copy machines. You know what I'm talking about? They didn't print all the colors. They just printed one color. You had to put that color toner in the, the thing. And he got, the only green they had was Kelly Green. And he had taken a Kelly Green 
ink cartridge, or toner cartridge, shoved it in a bunch of these copy machines, and got just regular 20-pound paper from Office Depot, put them in these machines, and started printing off $100 bills with them. And he tried to pass them off as counterfeit bills. Obviously, we look at that and say, boy, that guy was crazy. He, he, he did something that didn't look, didn't look, it was easy to tell that those were counterfeit. But you go and talk to the people that are in charge of the anti-counterfeit uh, department of the United States. And they will tell you that there are some that look so real that they are almost impossible to tell the difference between. I, I share that illustration because there are some things that we look at as Christians and say, oh, that's easy. I can see that. Absolutely, that is not right. But there are some people that will come in a very deceitful way. And they will try to add just enough truth to kind of get our appetites looking at them. And then they'll draw some error in, in their conclusions and cause us to follow a wrong and a false doctrine. The first thing we've got to learn to do is to recognize, and look with me if you will in verse number 10 of Titus 1. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. Now, this is a, this is a general rule of thumb. This is not to be said that... There are people that are doctrinally sound that are not unruly and vain and talkers. There may be. But one thing that we find that Paul speaks of here from these people who are trying to teach erroneous doctrine is that they are unruly people. They're usually trying to stir something up. They're vain people, uh, talkers, and they are deceivers. And notice this, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert Whole houses teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. We find a couple of things here. Their goal is to subvert entire houses, entire families, and to pull them from uh, the belief system that they have been in in a biblically sound doctrine church. They're trying to split the churches up, uh, and they're trying to pull these families out and to subvert them. And they do it for filthy lucre's sake, meaning that they're doing it to become profitable, to earn money. My dad used to say this years ago, and I think he had heard it from another preacher uh, from many years ago. But he said, if a preacher stands in the pulpit and does not teach you the word of God, the unerring word of God, the only motivation he has is money for filthy lucre's sake. Now, that being said, we are to recognize them. I want you to go back, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 with me. And let's look at some things that, that, that characterize these false teachers. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. In verse number uh, uh, 3, the Bible says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Can I tell you this? <coughs> the Word of God, while it does have a lot of doctrine to it, and there's a lot of things we can get in the meat of the Word, the gospel is a very simple gospel. It doesn't need to be cluttered with a lot of things that are, that are, that are mind-boggling. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a very simple gospel. And when they try to overcomplicate salvation, there's a problem. And what, what do we mean by that? Well, the Bible's very clear that salvation is by one thing. What is that? Faith. When we say it's by one thing and, 
And you can add anything after that you want to. What have we done? We've taken the simple gospel and we've now made it complicated. Now you've got to have faith and you have to do good works. You have to have faith and you have to be kind to folks and you have to live a good life. You have to be baptized. You have to become a member of the church in order to be saved. What are they doing? They're over they're overcomplicating it. Paul speaks here of the simplicity. And he says in verse number 3, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The second thing that will characterize these folks is that they will try to corrupt our minds with the subtlety that Satan had when he deceived Eve. What was the subtlety that Satan had? Well, he started with, Yea, hath God said. And they're going to start off with, Does God say this? And if you show them from Scripture, Yes, God says this, then their next statement is the same thing that Satan did. God did not really mean that. He meant, and then they'll go on to say what he meant. Isn't that what he did with Eve? God, thou shalt not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, ye shall become as gods, knowing good and evil. The subtlety of Satan. They're going to question the word of God, and then they're going to say, but does God really mean what he said in Scripture? That's subtlety. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 14. The Bible says, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So notice this in verse 15, that these ministers that is speaking of in verse 15 are ministers of who? They're ministers of Satan, right? Look look with me carefully, verse 14, I want you to get this. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, who's the his referring to here? Satan. His ministers also be transformed, the same way that Satan is transformed into an angel of light, also be transformed as ministers of what? Ministers of what? Righteousness. We're going to look at them. We're going to say, Amen. Boy, that's a good preaching right there. And the doctrine is going to be wrong. Because they're transformed into what appears to be ministers of righteousness. They're going to look right. They're They're going to talk right. They're going to use the right phraseology. They're going to say, we are King James Version. Amen, preacher. We are soul winning. Amen, preacher. We're an independent fundamental. Amen, preacher. And they're going to say all the right things. Because they've been transformed into a minister of righteousness. Well, what do these folks do? Well, look with me, if you will, in verse number 4. There's three things we find in verse number 4 that identify someone who is this way. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached... 
They're preaching of another Jesus than what I preached on based on the Word of God or what Paul has preached on. And the Bible says that they're false. They're ministers of Satan. What kind of Jesus would be different from what the Bible teaches? Perhaps a Jesus that's okay with abortion. Do you think that would be a different Jesus? That's not the same Jesus I serve. Maybe, maybe a Jesus that's okay with homosexuality. That's, that's not the Jesus I serve. A Jesus that's a son of God but not the son of God. That's not the Jesus I serve. They're teaching a different Jesus than what the Bible teaches. And if a person will teach you a Jesus other than what the Bible teaches, then rest assured that they are a minister of Satan that's been transformed into a minister of righteousness. What's another thing? Let's look at verse number 4. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, if there's a different spirit that's being given off here, than that which we've already received when we got saved, then he's a false doctor, a false prophet, false apostle. Is there a different spirit here? There are those that will teach. Here's how you know truth. You pray and you fast and you wait until you have a feeling of what truth is. Folks, that's a different spirit than I have because my Bible teaches me that the Holy Spirit will always magnify God's Word in my life. That I will always be pointed to the Word of God that He will teach me in all truth as I read this book. Any other spirit than that which I've received. Look, what's the third one? Any other gospel or another gospel which ye have not accepted. So if one that comes after preaches a different Jesus, preaches a different spirit, preaches a different gospel, the Bible says this in verse number 4 that we need to be careful because we might well bear with him. We might be saying, okay, he sounds right, he looks right on the outside, so he must be right. But he doesn't meet the criteria. So how are we supposed to deal with these folks? Well, Titus 1, verse number 10, shows us that we need to be able, first of all, to recognize them. We need to understand that they're not right. How do we do that? We compare them to Scripture. The, the, the litmus test, the, the, the ruler that we use to measure them with and to measure doctrine with is this book. In several weeks, over the next several weeks, we'll be dealing with doctrine in our church here at Keith Heights Baptist Church. And as your pastor, I'll tell you up front, I expect every one of us to measure what is taught on doctrine with this book. That's one of the great tenets of the Baptist faith. That's one of the distinctives we have that many denominations don't hold to. And that is the fact that you have the right to hold the Word of God on your lap. And for the Holy Spirit of God to show you from His Word the truth of it. So I want you to notice that we are to recognize. Secondly, we're to rebuke them. Look with me again back in Titus chapter number 1. Titus chapter number 1. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time as your pastor telling you how much we need to be in opposition to the false teachers. I'm telling you today and warning you of them, and then we're teaching solid doctrine from this point on. 
We want to make sure that our people are well grounded, that they're not swayed with every wind of doctrine, that they're not pulled in every which way as they listen to men that sound really good but are contrary to Scripture. But look with me, if you will, in Titus chapter number 1 again. Let's look down in verse number 13. <clears throat> Back up verse number one, uh, verse number 11. Let's start there and we'll work our way down. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things <clears throat> which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil be slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. So we rebuke them in the aspect of saying you need to have sound doctrine. So we're to recognize them, first of all. Secondly, we're to rebuke them. And thirdly, I want you to notice as we get to verse number 15, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even, even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. The third thing we're to do is to resist them. We are to resist them. Now, how do we resist false doctrine? We have to know good doctrine. We have to know sound doctrine. We need to know what the Bible teaches on the Trinity. You say, Brother Greg, do you understand all about the Trinity? No. But I know what the Bible says about it. Well, do you understand all about the eternalness of God? No. My finite mind that only knows time cannot fathom eternity. But I know what the Bible says about it. And we are to hold to the sound doctrines of Scripture. When there are folks out here that are some other religion and some other denomination, I know we are to be concerned of that and to do all that we can to know and to understand so we can teach them some Scripture and to hold to some sound doctrine. But we come to those people, generally speaking, already knowing that there is something wrong with what they're teaching. The fear that I have as a pastor today and some things I've found in the last week or so is that now we have people that are looking like us and sounding like us and calling themselves the same as us that are putting out false doctrine. And the sad thing is, as I read this week, there are satellite churches, churches that are adopting this position, these positions, cropping up all over America. It's not just one or two or three, but now they number into the hundreds. It's a spreading thing. And I don't know that we should be surprised by it. I think we ought to be aware of it. We ought to be concerned with it. And I think we ought to deal with it biblically. But I don't know that we should be surprised by it. Because the Bible speaks very clearly that these things will come to pass. There will come a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. Take your Bibles, if you will, and we'll end here in 2 Peter chapter number 2. 2 Peter chapter number 2. We're going to be again reading in verse number 1, 2 Peter chapter 2. And uh, I'm actually going to back up uh, to verse number 15, if you will. 
Peter is getting near the end of his ministry, near the end of his life, and he says this as he gets to verse number 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. I just want to say this. There may come times in our church when I may, after six months or, or three months or ten months, preach a message on the same thing that I preached maybe three months or six months or ten months before. The reason for that is this, that Peter, and Peter does this several times in his letters, he talks about the importance of calling to remembrance. Not giving you something new that you don't know, but calling to remembrance the things that we ought to know. If he's emphasizing the fact that we need to remember these things, then there is the possibility that we can what? Forget them. We let them slip. We let them slide. We let them get away from us. We don't hold to them like we used to. We don't remember the Scriptures like we used to. <coughs> he says in verse 15, that even after his decease, to have these things always in remembrance... For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Peter said, I was there. I saw it. These things are true. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. He said, listen folks, I was an eyewitness. I saw when Jesus was baptized and the Spirit descended from heaven as a dove and the voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I was there. I saw it happen. But he says, we have something even more sure than my eyewitness account. Wow. If there's something more sure than an eyewitness account, I sure want to know what it is. Don't you? You go to any court of law and you have an eyewitness stand up and say, I saw with my own eyes. That's hard to refute. That is a pretty substantial witness. But lest we say that Peter had an ulterior motive or his interpretation of what he saw was wrong, God said this. There's a more sure. Look what he says, verse number 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place unto the day, uh, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this verse, that no prophecy of what? No prophecy of verse number 20. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the Scripture, the Scripture is a more sure word of prophecy than an eyewitness account of Peter. I don't know how much more sure we can get on that. Having a more sure word of prophecy. And no prophecy of the Scripture is of any, notice this, private interpretation. It doesn't mean one thing for one person and another thing for another person. It is the truth. We can apply it differently. We may have different circumstances that that truth helps us with, but it is one truth. And that is the truth that God intended for it to be. 
For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. What a condemning verse. Verse number 2, look at it carefully with me. And what's the second word here? Many. You see that? And many shall follow their... I would have felt much more comfortable with this passage if he had said, and few. I would have said, you know what? It's a bad thing when that happens, but hey, it's just a handful. No, no. Many are following their pernicious ways. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. They're going to try to refute and tear down those that will teach sound doctrine and the truth. They're going to speak evil of those that hold the truth. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their, damna- uh, and their damnation slumbereth not. They're going to speak evil of the truth. They're going to try to privately go around and spread their heresy. They're going to deny that the Lord Jesus Christ bought them with the great price. They're going to deny how to be saved. They're not going to hold to the truth of how to be saved. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith. God's grace brings me the salvation. My faith trusts in it. And that is salvation. A lot of people cannot quite grasp the concept of grace. In fact, anyone that believes in faith plus works cannot believe in grace. Because grace is God's unmerited favor. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. God gave it to me freely. And my faith trusts that. I believe that. I hold to that as my only way of ever having any hope of heaven. The fact that we are living in a day where people that I would have never thought would ever depart from the doctrine that I had been taught from God's Word. I I am appalled. As a pastor, I don't like to preach messages like this. I've tried my best not to necessarily use names and call out names. I don't know that that's my business. But as a shepherd of a flock that God's given me oversight of and given me the responsibility of teaching sound doctrine to, It's something that from time to time I believe our church needs to be reminded of. That we need to be careful of these things. There's some things I believe that we ought to look at when the Word of God is being preached. We ought to look at where it's coming from. Where is this message coming from? Is it coming from a personal experience of a pastor? Is it coming from some illustration he has? Years ago, I had a young preacher boy that 
entered into a, a preaching competition at a youth conference. And I helped him develop an outline. He had, I think, five minutes or seven minutes to preach. I helped him develop an outline. He had a great outline. He started off with a, an illustration. And then he had three major points. And he did everything right uh, hermeneutically and homiletically that he should have done. <clears throat> when he got up to preach, uh, he shared his illustration. And then he began to make his points. And let me just say this. In, in this particular case, they were biblical points and they were scriptural points. But his verification of the point and what he used to try to explain to people why it was true was his illustration. He kept saying, this point is true, and it's true because remember in the illustration I used. In each of his points, he went back to his illustration instead of taking them to God's Word. And he had God's Word. He had verses in Scripture there. And one of the notes I wrote on his sheet when he, when he was done, I, he did a great job, had great presence on the platform, and certainly uh, was engaging and, and easy to listen to. One of the things I wrote on there was, preach the word, not the illustration. Some people will use an experience, and they will pull out Bible doctrine and teach it based on experience. Folks, Bible doctrine must come from the Bible. It's got to be what the Word of God says. And if it ever contradicts any other verse of Scripture, then we have a wrong interpretation of that doctrine. We've got to be so careful of these things. Where did the message come from? And secondly, we ought to ask, uh, what, uh, what was the message? What was the message? Thirdly, we ought to know what position does it leave me in at the end of the message? Am I left in a position of... Uh, confusion and doubt or have I been brought to a knowledge of the truth and allowed the Holy Spirit to work in my heart and then lastly what did it produce what did it produce the teaching that God's word is supposed to produce fruit the Bible says his word will never return void so what are we producing in our ministries are we producing a bunch of shallow hollow Christians? Are we producing people who have a love and a heart for the Lord Jesus Christ and walk with Him daily? What are we producing? Lord willing, over the next several weeks and months, we will be delving into these things in detail because I'm sensing and seeing the urgency that we are in today of knowing our doctrine from God's Word so that we are not moved and swayed with those that may appear to be what we are, but they are not. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're thankful for your word. And Lord, a message this morning has been one of warning and perhaps instruction. Father, we don't ever want to assume that everyone that is here today knows you as their Savior, that they have had a time and a distinct place where they recognized and knew without any shadow of a doubt in their mind that they were lost, that there was nothing they could do to earn heaven on their own, but that they must trust in your death, your burial, your resurrection, your shed blood on Calvary, that it is enough to cover our sins, to provide forgiveness, 
and give us a home in heaven for eternity, that we would place our faith and trust in it. Lord, I pray that you would help us. If there's someone here today that does not remember a time that they have had that experience in their life where they have had that moment of understanding and knowing the truth of your word and how they can be saved. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would allow us the opportunity to show them from your word, or perhaps they already know it. But today would be the day that they would trust you as their Savior. Father, for Christians that are here, I pray that you would help us to have discernment, to be wise as serpents but harmless as doves, to be able to study to show ourselves approved, workmen that need not to be ashamed, that we will fervently contend for the faith. Father, I pray that you would help us to press toward the mark, to run with patience the race that is set before us, and Father, that we would be awakened to these dangers, to be alert, to be careful and aware of them, and Father, that we will respond appropriately and biblically to them. I pray that you would help us in the days and weeks and months ahead to learn well the doctrine of your word the thing that we can anchor our hearts and our minds and our souls to, to know that it is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It never changes. Father, that we would hold fast to the form of sound doctrine. I pray that you'll bless the invitation time. Lord, I'm not sure why or if anyone would need to come this morning unless they need to be saved, perhaps. Maybe there are some Christians that just have recognized the fact that there's such little diligence given to knowing these things and that maybe they want to rededicate themselves to studying and recommit themselves to living fervently the way that you would have them to live. We pray that you'll bless the time that is spent together in your invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray.